We're going to continue our time together. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the elder pastors here, and it is a joy to be in 2019. Welcome to the new... Dude, did I just do it again? It's funny. Uh, but welcome to a new year. Anybody really glad that 2018 is over? A handful, right? Wow. Uh, <laughs> No, uh, we're, we're really grateful for the new year, grateful for 2018, what the Lord's been doing and what he's going to continue to do. Uh, whoa. Uh, last week, we uh, did kind of an intro to the series that we're going to be in for the next 11 months. Uh, we did an intro into 1 Corinthians where we looked at uh, kind of, I think, it was, at least for me, it was an interesting take of coming and seeing Paul's kind of emotional state as he's coming into the city of Corinth. Um, and what I think was uh, shockingly beneficial for us was uh, Paul comes into the city of Corinth uh, weak. He comes into the city of Corinth uh, kind of beat down. He comes into the city of Corinth after a long season of kind of frustration. Uh, and what we see in Acts 18 is we got to see how the Lord brought amazing encouragement to Paul. In unique ways, through new friends, through old friends, through some tangible results, seeing some Jewish synagogue leaders coming to know Jesus, uh, through God actually speaking to Paul himself through a vision, and then through God being faithful to uphold what he told Paul. So we got to see this encouragement really kind of being breathed into uh, Paul and uh, I don't know where you guys are at, and kind of why I asked how many of you are glad that 2018 is over, uh, because there was some heaviness, no matter who you are, that came with 2018. Uh, many of you have experienced loss, hardship, fear, uh, financial issues, family troubles, lots of things have happened in 2018. Uh, and I, I really get the sense that it wasn't by accident that the Lord took us to Acts 18 last week where we got to see God provide amazing encouragement to Paul through kind of various circumstances. Uh, and I get the impression, and I hope and will continue to pray this for our church family, that uh, 2019 is going to be marked by a lot of encouragement uh, if we have eyes to see the ways in which the Lord wants to bring encouragement to you and I because our God is faithful. And that is a good, good thing. Okay, so we're starting in 1 Corinthians this week. Uh, if you're looking for more background to 1 Corinthians, feel free to go back and listen to last week. Um, big picture, Corinth is a major trade post, trade outpost. It's the second largest city that Paul has traveled to. He's on his second missionary journey. It's written at about 57 uh, AD or so. Um, and so he actually writes this letter. Paul writes this letter through this guy, Sosthenes. Uh, from Ephesus. Um, and like we saw last week, Paul is very human as he enters into Corinth. Like I said before, he is kind of broken. He has come through a frustrating time. But he's coming into the city that is kind of this big melting pot. And one of the things that we begin to see happening is that lots of people come to know Jesus. And he's writing to a church in Corinth, he's not writing generically to a big group of people. He's specifically writing to a church. There are some books and letters in the scripture that are more generic, like First and Second Peter, which are kind of to like just all Christians. 
Uh, and there are some letters that are more direct, intended for a specific audience that we all get to benefit from. And 1 Corinthians is one of those books. Uh, it is one of those epistles, one of those letters. It is to a specific group of people in a specific time who are dealing with specific issues. And one of the things that I love is, sort in a weird way, I'm not sadistic, I don't think, is um, 1 Corinthians is kind of a hot mess. Uh, the church in Corinth, there's a lot of people who uh, talk about wanting to return to uh, first century uh, church style uh, where you know, we just kind of get together all the time and we uh, just pray and we enjoy God. And, and yes, those are wonderful things. We all want Acts 2, 42 through 47, but sometimes we forget that in the process of the church forming and becoming the people that God has called her to be, uh, that there are some messy spots along the way, primarily because the church is filled by humans uh, and we are sinful by nature and God is in the process of shaping us to be more and more like him. One commentator made the observation uh, when talking about Corinthians. He, he kind of, uh, between Thessalonica, between Thessalonians and Corinthians, he says this, uh, that Paul urged the Thessalonians to be more friendly to the world and the Corinthians to be more distant from the world or to be more distinct from it. In other words, there is a level of engagement with the world that is expected of believers, and it can easily fall into excess. You can become too consumed by the world as a follower of Jesus, or you can become too distant from it. These are two extremes that exist in the world that we live in today, too. But specifically for the church in Corinth, they struggled. Their struggle was with being in love with the world too much with excess. It's kind of a, a big picture uh, categorical uh, issue that the church in Corinth was facing, was being in love with the world too much. I think, I could be wrong here, but I think that could be something that is pertinent to us today. And a little back and forth here, I would love to hear from you guys. Do you guys feel like we may fall into a similar category at certain points? where we might fall into a place where we are in love with the world too much. What are some of the things that we, uh, you could be really personal, you could use the category, sometimes people, or you could do me, like some, sometimes I fall in love with this aspect of the world. What are some of the ways in which we tend to maybe fall into the excess side of loving the world? Let's discuss. Oh, you observe that people like, okay, okay, good, let's keep it, let's keep it away from me. <laughs> what else? <laughs> what else, what type, in what types of ways do, does the church or do sometimes us in the church fall in love with things of the world? Okay, we love entertainment, something we spoke about earlier in the fall of last year, yeah. Achievement, okay. Money, we can fall in love with money. Okay, yeah, we can fall in love with leaders of this world. Okay, we can fall in love with control. Fashion. You see my boots? There's a buckle on them. Do you guys know that buckles are, don't do anything? I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been told. Uh, 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that lust could be in a sexual nature or it could be in a... That I think we primarily think of lust in a sexual nature, but it also pours over into money. There can be a lust, almost like the coveting side of, the, of uh, wanting or these secret desires, these passions. I like that word that you use, these, that passion that's burning, that's otherly. Uh, it's good. Yeah. Vinny. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. What about the the love of um, sounds weird, but uh, individuality or um, the love of being unique? Uh, I don't know about you guys. I love finding new places to eat. I love like being the first. Uh, I love to be able to share with people cool new information. And again, a lot of these things aren't necessarily terrible on their own, but a lot of them have a tendency to become really dangerous in excess. And as we go through Corinthians over the next 11 months, I really want us to uh, pay attention to how the Lord might be highlighting some of the ways that we might love the world too much. Maybe some of the ways in which uh, things that are acceptable have become passions or desires or uh, goals that we have that actually aren't rooted in God himself, that aren't rooted in him. This morning's just the beginning, and as we're going to start to uh, dive into what God has for us in Corinthians, but my hope for all of you here and those who call Anthem home uh, that you would also be committed to going through this journey with us together. Um, one of the things that we'll even see this morning is that Paul has, uh, throughout Corinthians, this desire not uh, to press away from individuality and to press into community, to the body, into a together movement, a together growing, a together shaping. Because there's a concern for the overall health of the church of God. And so my hope for us is that we would go through this journey together, that we would open ourselves up to what God might be wanting to reveal to us this year as he's wanting to shape his church, Anthem Church, to be more and more like his son, Jesus. Okay, so with that, open up to 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. We're going to be walking through this together this morning. Before we do, I generally don't leave this so generic, but would somebody pray for us? Oh, go for it, Ben. Amen. 
1 Corinthians, or as our South African friends call it, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so this is, uh, Paul does these in, in the majority of the letters that he's writing. This is a classic intro. Uh, and in an intro, you often are going to get kind of, uh, you're going to get a greeting, you're going to get an explanation of who Paul is. Uh, you're also going to kind of get big picture uh, themes are going to start to kind of be developed or introduced that we're going to run throughout the letter, and we're going to look at those together. The beginning uh, gives us a little bit of context in, to which is being written into. It can be easy to overlook, but they set the tone. Uh, while I mentioned this earlier, while some letters are written for all believers everywhere, like First and Second Peter, there's others that are written to be passed along to certain congregations, or there's others that are actually written to, that were initially written to churches like Colossians and Ephesians, and they were meant to be passed along, and then these ones, like in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that are directly to the church in Corinth, and we get to receive the benefit of this. Now, here when Paul is writing and he starts, and when he introduces himself and gives his name, it's not to introduce himself for the first time to people. He's been in Corinth for over a year and a half. We got to see that in Acts 18. Instead, he's setting the tone for the letter. He starts and he says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul's apostleship, this is uh, going to be an important theme for us to look out throughout the letter. The word apostle means sent one or messenger. When apostolos is translated into Latin, it's translated missio, which is where we get the word mission, missional, and missionary. It all comes from being, the idea of being sent. Paul uses the title of apostle to describe his job in the kingdom. This isn't necessarily to lay down authority. This is to explain where he's coming from. This is to explain his calling. And we see this phrase used a number of times throughout the New Testament, including Ephesians 2.20, where the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we will get to learn quite a bit about apostleship as we go through the letter to the Corinthians, but it's important to have a framework as we go into it. Neil Cole uh, says this about apostles. He says, Apostles are gifted with contagious empowerment and are tasked with the overall vigor and extension of the church as a whole, primarily through direct mission, 
apostolic designs of ministry and church planting. And Paul understands that he is called by the will of God to be an apostle. That calling is something that he talks about frequently. It's what compels him to keep pressing on, to keep moving forward, even in the face of discouragement, physical obstacles, or abuse. Paul powers through because it is what God, it's because of the call that God has put on his life. And as we look at Paul's apostleship, and again, this is just kind of a, a big picture at the beginning as we unpack this further in the series, it's made, it's made up primarily of starting new churches, strengthening churches that he has started, or coming alongside other churches that had been started by other people. And he does that through theological course correction, moral course correction, and missional course correction. Here at the beginning, Paul lets us know that he is writing this letter, uh, but he's using this guy, Sosthenes. Uh, and this is, this is kind of cool. Right at the beginning, uh, it's important for us to see that, that Paul is wanting to, yes, he's wanting to share with the people who he is and his calling from God, but he's also not wanting to stand in the limelight alone. We'll see throughout Corinthians that Paul is very interested in moving people away from celebrity worship, celebrity teachers. We see very shortly uh, a thing between Apollos or Paul or blah, blah, blah. And there's this, this, this thing where people are naturally drawn uh, to humans, to other leaders. They're naturally drawn to other charismatic people and they want to say that they belong to this person. And Paul, right at the beginning, he's wanting to, he's wanting to in, in essence, bring somebody else alongside him so that he is not standing alone in the limelight because he knows that it's dangerous. And ultimately, as we're going to see through 1 Corinthians, and as we've already seen with Paul throughout, Paul doesn't want people to become more like him. He wants people to be more like Jesus. He wants people to fix their eyes upon Jesus. This guy Sosthenes, as far as we can tell, is one of the synagogue leaders in Corinth that gave their life to Jesus. Uh, and it seems as though almost every synagogue leader has given their life to Jesus in Corinth. There's this massive movement of people, Jews and Gentiles, coming to know Jesus. It's an incredible testimony to the power of the gospel that Jewish leaders of the area would start walking with Jesus. This is a big deal. What's Sosthenes? Sosthenes. What's he doing? Uh, he's actually writing. He's penning the letter. He's not the one coming up with the content. He's with Paul, alongside of Paul, in Ephesus, writing this letter with him. And he travels around doing ministry work with him as well. So after they introduce themselves, they say, to the church of God that is in Corinth. I love the way Paul communicates uh, things, and sometimes in real subtle manners. Paul's the one who actually started this church in Corinth. But he, look how he addresses He's like, to, not to the church that I started, not to my church, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Paul reminds them right from the beginning that this church does not belong to him. It belongs to God. It is his. And that's one of the things that we need to continually keep in the forefront of our minds too as we've been a part of planting a church in Thousand Oaks and Camarillo and Ventura and now in an Anthem and, 
in other parts of San Diego, and all of these things. We need to be reminded this isn't a move of us, this, that this church belongs to God, and we are stewards of it. In fact, that is going to be another theme throughout Corinthians, is what are we doing with what's been entrusted to us? And not only is the church God's, but our life is God's. How are we stewarding the life that God has given us? Paul is going to establish throughout the letter that all things belong to God. And again, this question and even what I put before you at the beginning of, God, what are you wanting to shape? How are you wanting to shape us to be more like Jesus? Uh, We want to be asked, God, how are you calling us to steward the things in which you've entrusted to us? And we want to take a look at them. We want to be open to correction because we want to grow as stewards of what God's entrusted And not just a few of us, all of us, that we would do this together. That's where Paul goes next. He continues his intro, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. We already mentioned it a little bit. This is important to see at the beginning, but the church in Corinth is facing some pretty messy issues. Uh, They're engaging in some salacious activity uh, that we'll get into in many weeks to come. Uh, But they have got lots of problems that they're facing. And in the midst of it, Paul isn't uh, shying away from those things, but Paul is actually highlighting some really important things about their identity. He's not calling into question their salvation, but what does he do instead? calls out what's true. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He brings a kind of a a, a level playing field. He brings them into fellowship together. He's reminding us that we're in this together, that they are saints, that they have the identity as holy ones. Apart ones, set apart ones. uses the phrase sanctified, and that word sanctified means to be made holy. And we talk often about how the gospel operates on two levels. At an identity level, the gospel declares things about it. We are justified. We are made righteous. We are called holy and blameless. Those are the declarations that are made over us. That's what's been accomplished at the cross because of the shed blood of Jesus. But on a moral or daily level, the gospel is currently and continually sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus, building us up to maturity. In this, we understand that we are sanctified and that we've been made holy by the blood of Jesus. But we have a long way to go in our bodies of being holy. Does that make sense? This is what's declared over us. We are holy. We are sanctified. We are... Uh, beloved, we are saints. We are washed clean. And yet there is this daily process of growing in that reality, of growing in what's declared over us to actually be true in our lives. This is one of the things that the church in Corinth struggles with severely. 
of letting those things which have been declared through the cross of Jesus, the victory which was purchased there, letting that filter through their lives and take practical root in living victorious lives here and now. We talked at the beginning about how there was not enough distinction in the lives of the Corinthians from the world around them. And yet at the same time, Paul is very insistent in these first few verses that they are called out from the world, that they are set apart, that they are called saints together. He's aligning himself with them. Even though they are a hot mess, he is not saying that they are not followers of Jesus. He's not saying that they're not Christians. This is, I just, I want us to know it's so important for us to understand that we are in process. We have a phrase that we say sometimes that it's okay to be a mess. It's just not okay to stay that way. That God loves us so much that he will come and meet us right where we're at, but he also loves us so much that he won't leave us there. And what Paul is hoping to do with the Corinthians is trying to invite them to join God in his mission. to continue to help them live the life that he's truly called them to be. So you and I, Anthem Church, we also are called to be saints. God's holy, set-apart ones for a different purpose. And we're called to do that together. And one of the questions for us is, are we joining God in that or are we just sitting back and just letting life pass by. There's this big piece where Paul's inviting them to do this together. This is this fighting for unity where we're to work hard to lay aside your differences of opinion and strive for the opinion of Christ. We're to look for common ground in Jesus and operate as brothers and sisters, saints in the family of God. Imagine the effectiveness of the church if humility and unity were defining qualities. And Paul is hoping and desiring to shape these in the church as he writes. Next, Paul moves on, and this is common in his intros as well, to thanksgiving. I give thanks to my God always for you. Remember, Paul's not writing to a group of people he doesn't know. He's writing to a group of people that he's familiar with. He's writing to a group of people where he spent over a year and a half with. And, and here he's, he's saying, I give thanks to my God always for you. Again, this is a huge piece in understanding Paul and also, I think, understanding the posture that we're called to have as followers of Jesus. Because Paul's writing to a church that is in a lot of turmoil. There's sexual issues, there are drunkenness issues, there's marital issues, uh, there are issues all over, there's gender issues, there's issues all over the place that the church is facing. And I love what Paul does here. He doesn't include a but anywhere. I give thanks to you for this, but please stop doing that. I give thanks to you, God. I give thanks to God for you, for the grace that you've received. 
for the spiritual gifts that are evident among you, for your knowledge and the wisdom that you have, for the ability to communicate that. I thank God for those things. I think we can learn so much from Paul in this because we don't operate that way. Most of us are a little bit nitpicky, very critical, and have a tendency to say we try and like inflate so that we can deflate and then kind of like meet somewhere in the middle. And Paul is going to challenge these things that he's actually giving thanks for. The excess of these things are actually part of the problem within the church. Because what does he give thanks to God for about them? Their speech and their knowledge. I give thanks to God that you know how to talk about God well. I give thanks to God that you know things about God well. Those aren't the issues that the church in Corinth is facing. They don't have an information problem. They have a transformation issue. They have a putting the words of God into practice issue. Could that potentially be something that we maybe sometimes struggle with? Is information generally our problem? At the end of the day, when you are lying in bed, or maybe there's a moment where you're confessing sin, is there ever a moment where you're like, man, I thought that was okay, but I guess I was wrong? Most of the time, we're like, no, I know that was wrong. I know that's not what God called me to do. I know that's not God's will for my life, and yet I willfully chose to do it. something that's going to be addressed throughout our time in Corinthians. They know how to say the right thing. They even often know how to think the right thing. But they are not willing to make the sacrifices to put it into practice. But what I love about Paul is Paul knows all of that. And he's not being uh, tricky here. He's not being manipulative. He's genuinely thanking God for the God things that exist in the church in Corinth. That's a beautiful thing. As parents, as friends, I hope that we can take a little bit of this encouragement from Paul, that we can see how he is willing to be encouraging even though he sees full well that there are issues. He knows full well that there are issues and he's still willing to call out the God things, the beautiful things. But what makes that more important that he's also willing to speak the truth? call out the God things, but also not to call out the things that are wrong. That's where things get manipulative. That's where things are unhelpful. That's where everybody gets a participation trophy. But I love that Paul gives value. Even when there are a lot of issues that are going on. I really hope that that would be something that we can do. And maybe even for you in 2019, maybe that would be one of the things that you grow and work on, that you would be one who gives value before you bring correction. Look to the people around you and in your life and see the God things that are present in them. Call them out. Thank God for them and also give value to those around you. Okay.
Continuing on, in this introduction alone, Paul mentions Christ Jesus or Christ Jesus nine times in three sentences. Do you think he's trying to make a point? Yes. Paul's working hard to make sure that he is not drawing people to himself, that he is pointing people to Jesus. Paul is not trying to win a popularity contest. As a good apostle of Jesus, he's working really hard to get the attention off of him or any other human voice and to get it squarely on Jesus Christ. Every believer is enriched in speech and knowledge, but that is the grace of God given in Christ. What's the point of following a person who's got that gift and not following the one who actually gives the gift? Paul throughout Corinthians is going to continually point to making sure that our focus and attention is on Jesus. He is the point of our life. He is the hope of glory. Paul is very interested in helping make sure that as they start their journey together in this letter, that their attention is on Jesus. That their focus is on Jesus. Because it's through Jesus and Jesus alone where true transformation can come. Also in this intro, Paul points forward to the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 7. Paul doesn't deal much with end times in 1 Corinthians, except to make sure that Corinth is a church that is built on the hope of a future return of Jesus. Again, we're not going to dive deep into this by any means, but at the intro, this is part of their theology. This is part of the foundation of living the life that they are living now and the life that we are called to live now too is that Jesus is coming back. And because that is true, it should impact the way we live our lives today. It should impact the way we are intentional. It should impact the way in which we join together. And here in verse 9 is the last part of the intro. And I love this one. And it, and it says, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now when you see that God is faithful, there should be hopefully a little bit of... Um, uh, connection bells or like lines maybe being drawn... Uh, to some stuff that we walked through in the last few months. Anybody, when you hear God is faithful, is that, does that draw us back to anything? Yes, Exodus 34. God has a name. God is faithful. He's steadfast. Coming out of Exodus 34, I'm starting to notice more places where God's character is the basis of what is being written in scripture. Paul finishes this intro simply by saying, God is faithful. Now that's loaded because it carries a whole lot of connotation. What does that mean? God is faithful. He is, yes, wanting to draw people back to God's faithfulness over the generations. How God had been faithful to Israel over and over and over again. But what he's also doing is he's drawing this now new community or in Corinth 
these Jews, Gentiles and Romans, or Jews, Greeks and Romans. He's drawing them all together, saying the God who was faithful to our fathers of old, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he's going to continue to be faithful. And what has he done? God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This, again, as we look at this, this should be ringing back to what's true about what we learned in Exodus 34, that God, Yahweh, is personal. He is relational. He's desired to be in relationship. What is he faithful to? He's faithful to the covenant. When you hear that word, that he's faithful, it's going to draw people into the covenant promises of old, that I will be their God, they will be my people, and I will make my dwelling among them. Paul is connecting the story of old with their current story. The promises of old with where they're currently at. He's called you into the fellowship of Jesus. I really like what the NIV does with this. They render this verse a little bit differently, and they say, by whom you were called into covenant participation with his son. For Paul, this is huge, and a theme that's going to run throughout the letter. That followers of Jesus are called into covenant participation with Jesus and one another. That phrase, covenant participation, instead of the word fellowship, I think is important for us, because we have a tendency to, when we think of fellowship, we think of like a, like a tea or a brunch, uh, or we think of, I don't know, what do you guys think of when you hear the word fellowship? Church potlucks. What else? When you hear the word fellowship? Yeah, Lord of the Rings, maybe? What else? Anything else come to mind when you hear the word fellowship? Huh? Friends? Yeah. And fellowship, it's not, it's not a bad word by any means. But when it's connect, when fellowship connected with God's faithfulness is going to draw the listeners to the covenant promises of old. And this fellowship, I think we can have a tendency to view fellowship as something that's really passive. Something for a spectator to be a part of. And that couldn't be further than what Paul's trying to identify here. You are invited into, and he's, he's reminding the church in Corinth of what's true already. That you are a part of covenant participation with Jesus Christ, our Lord. When he says you, when he says God is faithful by whom you were called, this is plural, so this isn't like you, me as an individual. This is like the Texas y'all, right? This is y'all, us all, are called into covenant participation with Jesus. Every time I perform a wedding, I talk about the difference between a covenant and a contract. Um, and some of you have married. You remember the difference between a covenant and a contract? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the idea behind a contract is a contract is made to protect oneself, right? A, a, a contract is made to protect my interest. A contract is for the, is for the protection of me. A covenant is for the benefit of somebody else. If we were to look back at Genesis 15, like we looked at in the Exodus 34 journey, we see God entering into a covenant agreement with Abraham. We had that gory scene, right, where the, 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 the animals were split in two. And this was an ancient ritual in which the members of the covenant agreement would walk through this aisle with these split animals. And what they're doing as they're walking through this aisle is they're saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the deal, let me be like this dead animal. If you remember the story in Genesis 15, God causes Abram to, go to fall asleep. And as he's asleep, God himself walks through the covenant promise and ritual. Say, I will make sure that this comes to pass, even if it requires the sacrifice of myself, which with the coming of Jesus, we realize that's what it took. Similarly, what Paul is doing here is he's wanting to remind the church in Corinth and us that we are a part of a covenant and it's not a passive thing. We are invited into covenant participation with Jesus. And we're called to do it together. Paul, throughout his letter, is going to be reminding the church in Corinth and us of how valuable every member of the body is. That each has something to contribute that there is some participation for you to bring to the table. And that God in his sovereignty has designed his church to continue to move forward through covenant participation through people like you and me. But what continues to blow my mind about things like this is that God is faithful bring us into fellowship with his son. That we actually have relationship with Jesus. At the forefront of, of our life and existence, actually from the very beginning of creation, God has always designed us to be in relationship with him. And I think more often than not, we have such a tendency to take that for granted. And here we are at the start of a brand new year. Some of you have maybe already failed some of your New Year's resolutions. So don't be too hard on yourself. But what would it look like? How would your life shift, perhaps? If you recognize that you were called into covenant participation with Jesus with the rest of us. Where my life no longer existed for the benefit of me, but the benefit of Jesus and you. These are the things that Paul's going to press in on as we walk through Corinthians together. So many of us operate through life with a contractual mindset of how can I set things up so I can benefit the most? 
And if you, like me, have done that, you've found that that actually brings a lot of sadness. It can result in a lot of loneliness. And that's because God has another way for you to thrive and live in this world, for it's not good for you to be alone or for you to be king, but for us to live under the kingship of Jesus with brothers and sisters, where we together participate in the new covenant that's been ushered in as sons and daughters. So this new year, first, would you let the start of that close that Paul brings, would, would you take some time to reflect on that statement that God is faithful? I haven't, like I said at the start of this, I haven't met too many people in the worship team, you guys can come up, who have said that, oh, 2018, yeah, it was a breeze. It was a real smooth year. It's a good space for us to be reminded that God is faithful. And just as he was faithful to bring Israel out of slavery, just as he was faithful to provide his son Jesus, here we see that he is going to be faithful in his relationship with you. You are called into covenant participation with Jesus. What does it look like for you to orient your life around Jesus this year? What does it look like for you to commit to a relationship with Jesus where you're actively participating? Where you begin to orient your life for the benefit of Jesus and his kingdom above your own, maybe. Jesus is not an add-on to who we already are. Jesus redefines who we are. So what does it look like for you this year to set up patterns and habits that will regularly reorient your life around Jesus? Whether it's journaling, praying, uh, studying scriptures, fasting, worshiping, giving. These are all habits and disciplines to put in place. And on top of that, we, we can't do this alone. We are called into covenant relationship and covenant participation with Jesus, but we're also called into covenant participation with each other. I'm not interested in just one or two of us going on this journey by ourselves. Like We're called to do this together. What does it look like for us to fight for unity together? What does it look like to commit to one another? What does it look like to practice our membership, if you will, to one another? What does it look like to be participants together? To be in covenant participation with Jesus and with one another where we're actually benefiting others. And I'm so thankful, just so you guys know, that we're a part of a church family, that there's a lot of this that's already going on. This isn't like a, ah, oh, we never do this. We hate community. We hate one another. No, that's not, I'm so thankful that that's not who we are. But the Lord is inviting us into more. What does it look like for us to join together more fully this year? What does it look like for you to 
to recognize that you are being called into covenant participation with one another. That you're not called to do this alone. Paul is going to fight hard against divisions in the church and work hard to drive people back together. And we're looking forward to doing that together this year. And we just want you to come along with us. But none of this is going to happen if we aren't willing uh, to let God shape our hearts. We don't ask God to give us soft hearts and to give us courage to take steps forward. There'll be no change. We'll just keep waddling along. So my hope is that we would trust that God is faithful and that we would trust Him with our hearts and with our lives. And that we would be shaped into greater covenant participation with Jesus and participation with one another. But now we're going to respond as we sing, as we sing of God's grace, of his mercy, as we sing of the truth of who he is. We're going to take communion. We're going to, in Corinthians, we're going to talk a lot about communion. And Paul gives us a great framework for communion. But as we take communion this morning, we take the bread, which represents Jesus' body, which was given for you and I. We dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, which was shed. And when we take this, we take this together. This is how we practice. It's a discipline that we're given to regularly practice our covenant commitment to him and to one another. So take it this morning being thankful. And we also give as part of our response and we also uh, receive prayer. So this morning, maybe there's some things going on in you. Maybe there's some frustrations with last year. Maybe there's some excitement for the year to come. Whatever it is, if you want prayer, would you go and receive prayer this morning? We'd love to pray for you. But with that, would we stand now as we respond and sing together?